Would you join me please in John chapter 20? We continue our series through this book. Well, we left off on this account on the evening of Resurrection Day. Remember that the women who went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, expecting Him still to be in the grave, they were eventually greeted with the resurrected Lord, and when they came to tell the disciples, the men didn't believe them. Later that day, we find the disciples are gathered together behind shut doors out of fear of the Jews, and Jesus shows up in their midst and He speaks peace into their fears. He showed them His hands, His side, and then the disciples' fear turned to faith, and Jesus speaks peace unto them again. And last week, we saw how Jesus commissioned His followers to go into the world and preach the gospel. We call that the Great Commission. That's why we're here on this earth. That's why you're not in heaven yet. Say amen. Amen. You're not just here to warm a seat. But we are called by God to go. That's the will of God for you, for all of us. And then Jesus breathed on them and He gave them the Holy Ghost. You see, what Jesus calls us to do, He gives us the strength to do it. And what He gives us to fulfill His great commission is Himself. And He is all that we need. And because we know that God is the one who is working through us to reach others, knowing that we have the full backing and support of God, knowing that He's all we need to accomplish His work, we really have no excuse why we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. You can come up with an excuse, but I can come back with, don't you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you? That's the power we need to reach the loss. It's not our own human ingenuity. It's not our own wisdom. Right? We just need God. So I hope that you are actively fulfilling the Great Commission by reaching out to others and pointing them to Christ. Now today, we'll begin by reading verses 24 through 31. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe." And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Amen. Now before we get to our text, I want to highlight something that God was dealing with me about this week as I was studying this. There's a phrase that kind of has jumped out at me, and I felt led to track it down, and now I'm going to give it to you. If you'll notice in verse 1, you'll see that the Bible says upon the first day of the week. And then in verse 19, we see again later that evening that it's the first day of the week. And then in verse 26, we see again that 
the next week, which is worded eight days later, it was really just one week later, it wasn't that extra day, you have to count the day they were on and then add the seven, and so it was a way of saying the next week. It says, again, the first day of the week. Now, it's interesting to me, just a side note here, this will be very boring to most of you, (laughs) but it's very interesting to me here that the evening of this same day is still called the first day of the week. Because in the Hebrew way of keeping time, evening marked the beginning of a new day. And yet this is still called the first day. It was the first day in the morning, it's still the first day in the evening. That kind of intrigued me. The explanation may be as simple as John is writing primarily to a Gentile audience. Perhaps he's just using Roman way of keeping time. Maybe that simple. It could be John was written after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., And therefore, the Hebrew customs and ways of doing things had kind of eroded out of mind. And so it was just customary at this point to use a different way of doing it. But perhaps there is something deeper here. Just bear with me for a moment. Uh, I'll admit this has nothing to do with anything today, okay? And you may conclude, much learning doth make thee mad. And that's okay. When God created everything in six days... At the conclusion of each day, you'll read over in Genesis chapter 1, the evening and the morning after each day. Evening and morning counted uh, the day, therefore a new day would have begun in the evening. And of course, God rested on the seventh day. Since death entered the world under that system, I wonder if God here is establishing a new system with Christ's resurrection, because in Christ old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. On day one of creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided light from the darkness. And now that the light of the world has sprung up from the grave, victorious, maybe God is signaling a new creation has come to mankind. God began separating the light from the dark. If you're in Christ, you're to be in the light. If you're without Christ, you're still walking in darkness. God rested on the seventh day. And under the old covenant, the seventh day was to be the day of rest. But now we can observe here, the first day of the week is the one with the importance put upon it. I don't find another day mentioned in the New Testament. Except the first day of the week. Just interesting observation, that's all. There is to be one day that we're to rise above the others. And up until the severe moral decline in our nation, it was always understood that Sundays were to be a day of rest. I don't want to overthink anything here or be guilty of taking too much liberty with the Scripture, so I'll kind of leave that subject for you to ponder. Whatever the case, one thing is for certain, and this is what I wanted to get to, we see a pattern developing here in chapter 20, that clearly the first day of the week was to be the time that we gather together. Do you see that taking place here? Now, they may have gathered on other days, and there's nothing wrong with that. We gather on Wednesday night as well, and Sunday night. There's nothing wrong with that, but we definitely see Jesus puts His approval upon the first day of the week, because those are the two days, both are first days of the week, but those are the two times that Jesus shows up. And God is putting His approval upon them meeting upon the first day of the week. 
And like I said, there's nothing wrong with meeting more. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll find that they met every day initially. How old school do you want to get? Amen. <laughs> now, I don't believe the apostles here that they meant to put any special honor upon this day. Look, they didn't even know what was going on until Jesus showed up. So I don't think it was their intent, but I think that gives all the more weight to God is setting up something here that He wants us to know and to carry on. And so God places honor upon it by gracing them with His appearing. And this time around, we find that God is resting upon the first day of the week, not the last. God has very definitely blessed and sanctified the first day of the week. And this is the pattern which was followed long after what took place here in John chapter 20. The Bible says in Acts 20 and verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. The first day of the week was the day for preaching. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. And by the close of the first century, what you'll find is the first day of the week became known as the Lord's Day. John, who lived the longest of that group that originally walked with Christ, he wrote over in Revelation 1.10, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day while He was banished from the Isle of Patmos. And so we find there is this principle of a day of rest still in existence under the New Covenant. We should labor during the week, but there is one day that we are to elevate above all the rest, and that is the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, our Sundays. And because of this, we should place a special emphasis on our gathering together on Sundays. We understand that all days ultimately belong unto the Lord, but this day is to be set aside as a special day of observance. And I believe the pattern here is clear. When you are able, you shouldn't go to work on the Lord's day. I know that's not popular today. I know we're living under grace and anything goes. But just let me be your pastor for a minute. I know there are certain jobs where that may not always be possible, but outside of those critical jobs and outside of those critical times during those jobs, you should inform your employer that you're not going to work on Sundays. Listen, I'm not being ugly, but there are plenty of pagans who can work on Sundays for you. Last I checked, you aren't supposed to be discriminated against because of your religion anyhow. Listen, you honor the Lord on the Lord's day and He will honor you. And I can tell you that from experience. I remember I was in Mississippi and I was going through tech school and we had 10-hour days, very long days, hard on the mind. And I was also needing to study for promotion. I was up for E5 and so I wanted to study, but church was getting in the way. And I thought, man, I went to my pastor. You know, I was kind of new to all this in a sense. And uh, we had just kind of got regrounded in Korea. And so we showed up in Mississippi. And I went to my pastor. I said, I don't know what to do. I need to study. I, I want to get promoted. It's good for my family, blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget what Pastor Decker told me. He said, you honor the Lord and God will honor you. Amen. And I did. Now, listen, promotions of the Lord, okay? But I did. I honored God and God gave me that promotion. I'm not preaching prosperity to you. I'm not saying that's the formula for you to get a promotion. So don't come to me and say, 
preacher said I didn't have to study and I didn't get promoted. <laughs> now what I'm saying, I still studied. I just kept Sundays hallowed. Amen. I'm just trying to be a help to you this morning. Amen. Is it any wonder Sundays have been hijacked by our enemy? Yeah. The NFL plays most of their games on Sundays. It's one of the most popular sports. Golf tournaments in on a Sunday. A lot of NASCAR races on Sunday. And there's a lot more examples we can throw in there as well. Listen, for crying out loud, we've, we have graduations on Sunday now. High school graduations. That was unheard of when I was a kid. And I'm not old. That's crazy to me. And if you will examine it through spiritual eyes, you will conclude that the enemy is attacking Sunday. To get your focus off of honoring the Lord on what is supposed to be set aside for honoring Him. You senior saints will know this well. But to our young people, did you know there used to be laws in this country against violating Sundays? Some are still in existence, but I don't reckon many of them are enforced anymore. There can't be many places left from what I've seen traveling through this country. You know, baseball has been played professionally in our country for a very long time. The very first official game dates back to June of 1846. The first league be, uh, was established in 1871, but it wasn't until 1917 did they start to play on Sundays. And here's what I found interesting. These two ball clubs played, and after the game, the two managers on each team were arrested for violating blue laws. The blue laws were also known as Sunday laws. Some of you may remember those. Isn't that interesting? If you want an interesting study worldwide, but specifically in our country, study blue laws and just see what you find. You see, Sundays used to be protected in America. Amen. There's a reason the mail historically hasn't been delivered on Mondays by the USPS anyhow. Believe it or not, but businesses used to have to close on Sundays. I came along after the majority of these laws had been eroded. But even when I was a kid, I remember alcohol being banned for sale in our county where I grew up on Sundays. That was in Georgia. I don't even remember having little league games or practices on church days, Wednesdays or Sundays. Now, I know a lot of that was culture, but that was the culture. I remember in public schools, we opened up in prayer all the way into my high school years over the loudspeaker. Yep. Yep. My principal's wife was even my Sunday school teacher for a little bit. And, and I recognize now that a lot of that was just a form of godliness because even in our churches back south, I remember that Sunday was a good day for people to go to the lake. And you could forget about people coming to church if it was raining. Adrian was going to go to church. He was there and uh, go to church on a day it was raining. And somebody said, you're not going to go to hell if you miss a church day because it's raining. Well, that may be true. But that is terrible, stupid, dumb theology. Amen. Listen, if I base all my reasons for why I do something on whether or not I would go to hell, why don't I just do what I want to do? I mean, what a dumb reason. Well, you're not going to go to hell if you do this. What? Now, listen, I'm not saying, I know some people, it's unsafe to drive in the rain. It's unsafe to drive at night. I'm with all that, okay? 
I'm talking about all you backsliders. <laughs> now, it's almost mind-boggling how far we've retreated from God just in my lifetime, and I can't imagine how our senior saints must feel. My dad is now 77, and I love to hear his stories of, of his past, but it's also heartbreaking because you realize just how far we've uh, taken a step back as a nation, and it's no wonder that our nation is deteriorating right before our eyes because we have taken a step away from Almighty God. What did, what did we expect? Did you know it was once held that it was even a secular benefit to a worker's well-being to have one day of rest in a week? Imagine that. God was right again. Listen to what Supreme Court Justice Stephen Johnson Field stated in 1896 in defending those so-called blue laws. Quote, Its requirement is a cessation from labor. In its enactment, the legislator has given the sanction of law to, to a rule of conduct which the entire civilized world recognizes as essential to the physical and moral well-being of society. Upon no subject is there such a concurrence of opinion among philosophers, moralists, and statesmen of all nations as on the necessity of periodical cessation from labor. One day in seven is the rule, founded in experience and sustained by science. The prohibition of secular business on Sunday is advocated on the ground that by it the general welfare is advanced, labor protected, and the moral and physical well-being of society promoted. End quote. That was a Supreme Court justice. But look at how far we've fallen from those sentiments today. Sundays are now just another day. And there is no reverence for the Lord's day in America any longer. I probably shouldn't make this reference. It's a worldly song, but it was from my childhood. It popped in my mind as I was studying about this. And it says, When Sunday mornings rolled around, we dressed up in hand-me-downs just in time to gather with the church. Sometimes I think how long it's been and how it impressed me then. It was the only day my daddy didn't work. That used to be America. Yeah. We've had Dave Summerdorf in here talking about when he was a child being raised by a lost daddy who was raising him unknowingly with Christian virtues. Yeah. That's just how it was. But no more. We have parents working on Sundays when they really don't need to, and the message that they're sending to their children is that the things of God are not really that important. And we're just going to squeeze God in whenever we're able because now it fits our schedule. But what did Jesus say? Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You say, what's mammon? That's talking about wealth, making money. If you're placing earning your money on the Lord's day above being faithful to God and the gathering of the saints, you're trying to serve two masters and it'll never work. And if you'll observe this long enough, like I have, you'll, you'll conclude that mammon almost always wins out. Amen. Somebody starts accepting work on Sunday. They know they really shouldn't. They start doing it and they start making money on Sunday. I'll just go ahead and say this, even though I shouldn't. Uh, what usually ends up happening is now I'm making this extra money. I'm going to go take on extra debt. Now I can't quit because i got to work to pay off the debt. Anyway. And so we end up making money on Sundays, putting the Lord on the shelf, and the next thing you know, when you finally get a day off on Sunday, you're not coming to church because you're like, man, this is my day off. So it leads to further backsliding most often. Now, I know some of you have wonky schedules, and I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm just trying to 
give you the word of God. Amen? Um, listen, I've been in the military. I know what it's like. I've spent 21 years having to work Sundays. I get it. It happens. I understand that. Uh, so those of you with crazy schedules, listen, I can remember some of you military guys remember this. I remember working two days, two swings, two mids, one off. Two days, two swings, two mids, one off. You talk about not getting any sleep. And if your day off happens to fall on Sunday, good night. What do you want to do? Lord, I'm just going to sleep a little bit. Amen. I, I get it. And, and for those of you with crazy schedules, I'm so glad you're here when you're able. But I just want to encourage you, don't get in the habit of not attending church. Because once you get in the habit of not attending, it's difficult to get back into the habit of attending. It happens before you know it. I can remember when we were in North Dakota, we did not have Sunday night service. Long story there. We went back down to Mississippi. God stationed us down there. And I remember the first service, we were done in the morning. We're used to going home, kicking back. I'm used to watching football, doing my thing. Praise God. They had Sunday night church. I remember being kind of bummed out. Man, we got to get back out to church. (laughs) This is your pastor. Listen, I'm just saying it happens. And we get in the habit. And it's hard once you get in the habit to break that habit. Because now you've gotten used to having your time. Whoa, oh, 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 what's the day called? It's the Lord's Day. One of the more common things I've observed, some of you have been through this. Someone gets burned in church, they lay out in frustration, and the time they were going to take just to reassess ends up becoming years of not being in church. It can happen. And a lot of times in those cases, when somebody finally does decide to return back to church, they're still mad that they got burned because they got bitterness. They haven't got over it and confessed it to God. And so because they're still mad and bitter, they look at the name on the church and they go, ah, all Baptist churches must be bad. I'm not going back. And so what they end up doing is compromising what they used to believe was true. Now, to those who are faithful to all of our services, I can tell you, I first see it manifested when you start dropping out of Wednesday night. Sunday night will follow. And typically it isn't long until you're no longer here altogether. So what am I telling you? You ought to take Sundays seriously. Amen. You say, why? Because God does. God takes it serious. It's the first day of the week. And we see the principle throughout the Bible of the first fruits belonging to God. But don't you know we're so weak today? Is it any wonder we don't see revival? We do not hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we do not make the things of God a priority in our life. If you want proof, 2020 was your proof. Every state that had church closed ought to raised up and said, No! I will not shut down because I have a biblical mandate that says I'm to honor God on the first day of the week. And if you don't like it, come and arrest me. Whoop! But what did we see? Kowtowing all over the place. We're so weak. You want to know why? Because we had a generation of Christians before me that didn't think church was that important. And they said, it's okay if you work a little bit. It's okay if it's raining a little bit. And we don't show up. And the next thing you know, your children did in excess what you did in moderation. See, what happens is our children, they're not going to do in excess what you're doing in moderation towards the good. They're going to do it towards the bad. You can't just say, I'm going to show up in church a little bit and they're just going to magically love church. What they're going to do is see you lay out a little bit and they're going to lay out in excess. 
Listen, I want to tell you as a father of four, it's hard enough trying to do it right. Much less when you just sprinkle God in, it's hard enough to do it right. Our children are very perceptive. There will come a point when they will do what you do, not what you say. So make church a priority. Amen. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to, do, knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So well, I know I should be there. Then it's sin if you're not. Now you might be one who says, Well, I don't feel like church is really all that important if I miss every now and then. Well, can I just tell you, ask Thomas in our text how important church is. We see in verse 24 that Thomas wasn't there when the other disciples were gathered and he missed the Lord showing up. That's a good enough reason right there why you should be faithful to church gatherings. Listen, I don't want to miss the Lord showing up. It should be our earnest desire to see the Lord show up when we are gathered, uh, when we gather together. Now, I want to be fair to Thomas here, and I'm going to be a lot nicer to Thomas next week. Come back next week. For all I know, Thomas had a very legitimate reason why he wasn't there. We're never told why he wasn't there, amen? He might have got the flu bug. I don't know. He's not there. We'll be nice next week. Right now, we just want to make application to the fact that he missed. We see in Thomas that when we are absent when the Lord shows up, it can lead to disbelief. And what's amazing to me now, after 20 years of experience, I can tell you that those who doubt the most are those who miss out on church the most. Thomas is in a crisis point in his life, and like so many do in their moment of crisis, he withdraws himself from the very place he should have been, and that's the gathering together of the saints. But had he been faithful, he would have gotten exactly what he needed. Which is why Hebrews 10.25 tells us not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You see, when you forsake the assembly, you miss the very thing that God may have had planned just for you to help you in your moment of a lack of faith and in your time of crisis. Had Thomas been present on resurrection evening, he would have no longer gone on in doubt. But I want you to get this now. Thomas's absence nearly cost him his faith. What does he say? I will not believe except. What if God didn't meet that except? It almost cost him his faith simply by sliding out of where he needed to be. It's only because the Lord was merciful to him. The Lord was merciful by showing up again, and for that reason only, Thomas didn't derail. Lamentations 3.22 says, It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. But what if Thomas had been absent again? He would have missed the Lord, and the very conditions that he put on the Lord would have never been met. Withdrawing from the gathering of the saints nearly cost Thomas very dearly. And I'll guarantee you, something he would have regretted for the rest of his life. And how many parents with children have come and said, I've regretted not raising my children in the faith. I've regretted not making church important to them. You'll regret it. We never know what advantages we may miss by letting just one opportunity of gathering together pass us by. We must take advantage of every opportunity to gather with God's people around God's Word. You see, Thomas missed the ladies' testimonies. He missed Jesus showing up. And while there is some debate on this, I'm left to conclude that Thomas missed this initial giving of the Holy Ghost when Jesus breathed on them. I have no doubt he later received it. Don't misunderstand me. 
But because he missed it all, he continued on in doubt for another week longer than he needed to. I wonder how many have continued on in a difficult situation in their life because they backed away. Stopped being faithful. You just don't know what you're going to miss out on when you decide to be absent from church of your own free will. And why would you want to miss out on the blessings of the Lord showing up amongst His people? Yeah, the Lord can show up when I'm out in the woods hunting. Sure He can. But there is something different. There is something unique. There is something special about the Lord showing up corporately. So you just don't know. I mentioned this recently but I can't remember which service, so I'm going to say it again. It is a trend. There have been many instances when someone comes with something they're going through, and I literally tell them, I just preached on that, and you weren't here. I'm not being ugly to them because I understand they're hurting, but my point is, where were you? Had you been faithful, you would have gotten exactly what God wanted you to hear. They could have saved themselves a lot of stress, a lot of doubt, a lot of fear, and all the rest. But by being absent, they missed out on what I learned later was the one needful thing that God had for them. Let me close with this excerpt from John Gill. He wrote this. As it is of good consequence to attend the assemblies of Christ's disciples and followers, so it is of bad consequence to neglect or forsake them. It is frequently to good purpose that persons attend them. Here God comes and blesses His people. Jesus grants His presence. The, grace, the graces of the Spirit are increased and drawn forth into exercise. Souls that have lost sight of Christ find Him. Disconsolate ones are comforted. Weak ones are strengthened. Hungry ones are fed. On the other hand, not to attend is of bad consequence. Neglect of assembling together exposes to many snares and temptations, brings on spiritual leanness, leads to an indifference and lukewarmness, issues in a low degree of grace and a non-exercise of it, and in a loss of Christ's presence, end quote. I want to encourage you this morning, why won't you as a family just go ahead and drive a stake in the ground and say, as for me and my house, we're going to be faithful. And listen, Dad, that primary responsibility falls to you according to the Bible. What are you showing your children is really important in their life, in your life, for them? Moms, you're not off the hook either. What are you demonstrating is important to your children? Listen, you need to determine that you're going to be faithful to God and to the gathering of His people. Pray with me, please.